You got a good cold open to throw in here? Huh? Anyone? <laughs> no. No. Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, and I'm joined by my co-host, craft bat guano cultivator, Jeremy Ruggles. Greetings. I have just the blend for you. <laughs> and uh, secondary cave yelling generalist, Peter Cook. Yeah, that's me! <laughs> I like those two uh, introductions fit. You guys could be colleagues. Thank you. We are, aren't we, on this program? Well, like outside in the real world. Oh, when we leave here and we go fight crime. We don't leave. <laughs> Cave crimes. Sean doesn't let us leave. You can do whatever you want. I'm we can check out anytime we want, but we can never leave. Kill me. <laughs> that reminds me, how are you feeling since it's New Year's Eve? This is the last time people are going to hear our voices this decade. It's actually currently New Year's Eve in the future slash current time of this podcast coming out. Yes. That is the scheduled slash day that it is right now. Yes, it is New Year's Eve. It's been a long decade of I'd buy that for a dollar. That's true. Mm. We have to look back at all of our top 13 picks. Yeah, we spent nine and a half years thinking, preparing mentally physically and emotionally preparing for this podcast and then for the last few months we've unleashed it i think we really were doing that and just didn't realize it you know in some ways it's almost like our entire lives were just practice for this very moment do you guys have your top 10 of the decade uh, episode no. list I, no of our episodes oh, of our episodes <laughs> top 10 episodes uh ooh, i don't know we had a couple stinkers so <laughs> Yeah, that Bohannon one. Woo! Harsh. Telling me. Harsh toke. I like Bohannon. Well, the music is good, but that episode, oh my God. Wow. It was a good one. Who's in charge today? Who's Peter. Peter? Oh, yeah, it's me. I'm in charge today. And what are we talking about? I guess I should know by now. Mm -hmm. We will be talking about Janice Ian's 1975 audiophile classic between the lines nice now we've been talking on the the internet chats since our last recording because we we go back and we listen to these before they're posted we check for mistakes in the audio quality jeremy is just spending hours slaving away getting the production of this shit just so tight so crisp and we're also talking a lot about the production of it and like our techniques of talking and the way we're uh, arranging this show. And one thing we talked about was we wanted to get into the music faster in mm -hmm. the episode. So before we talk more about this record, what track do you want to play for us? I would like to play the track Watercolors, which is the last song on side one, Jeremy. Okay. Let's go ahead and listen to that. Up through the line, I need no charity. So specific. <laughs> Thank you. 
Yeah, the, the, you liked when those strings came in there. That was beautiful. I love it when a string arrangement is is subtle and doesn't come in till later. And it's just like take it just elevates the song. I was already into it, digging the elements, the recording quality. I like the the way her voice was mixed and recorded, and all of a sudden, just that tasty little string section. Agreed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, that uh, just hearing that right now, it's. The recording quality, it's, I don't know if angelic or, or something. There's a word I'm trying to find, serene or angelic, but just listening to it through headphones on uh, this new head shell that we got. <laughs> true, we're doing upgrades here for the new decade. True, true, true. Yeah. New yeah. computer, new head shell, new attitudes. Mm-hmm. I got nothing else, just those things. <laughs> just more carefree vibes. Carefree vibes. So the producer for this is a guy named Brooks Arthur. And it looks like he had mainly done engineering work before this, including on Van Morrison's Astral Weeks. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He'd worked also worked with uh, Loudon Wainwright III, if either of you are familiar with mm-hmm. that guy. Mm-hmm. 
and Tim Harden, I think on Tim's third album. Janice Ian actually arranged and scored a lot of the strings that you hear on this album. She also played acoustic guitar and piano on that track. The nylon guitars that we heard in there were by two session players, Sal DeTroa is, I believe, how you say his name, and Al Gorgoni. Gorgoni had played guitar. Okay, this is going to be a long list. I'm sorry to go listicle on us right away, but do it. He's a player who he had been. He played on "The Sound of Silence" by Simon and Garfunkel. Okay. Brown Eyed Girl by Van Morrison. Oh, I've heard of that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a Believer by the Monkees. I've heard of that. The Name Game by Shirley Ellis, which I believe we Mm. brought up the last episode with Eric. Walk Like a Man and Big Girls Don't Cry by the Four Seasons. Okay. Leader of the Pack by the Shangri-Las. Chapel of Love by the Dixie Cups. Okay. Sugar Sugar by the Archies. And finally, Brand New Key by Melanie. Oh. Who dat? <laughs> Call back. There's also, and Sal Detroit, the other guitarist on the track we just heard, uh, he also played on the Gather Me album by Melanie. And as was bassist Don Payne, who, while not on the track we just heard, is on electric bass on a number of songs on this album, including the title track. She did arrange a number of the songs herself, but on some, Janice Ian employed a guy named Ron Frangipain. Is this a name that's familiar to either of you? Uh, no. no. Okay. <laughs> so he's a pianist and string arranger who had studied under Igor Stravinsky. Who's that? I've heard of him. <laughs> I think he's like that Rite of Spring guy or something. Uh-huh. He did something where there was a riot. I think yeah. a few people have heard of him. There's a riot going on. Yeah. yeah he, was, he was on there. Igor, Igor Stravinsky <laughs> was on There's a Riot Going On Yeah, by uh, Yola Tango. And so like, that got really confusing there. Yola yeah. Tango had an album called There's a Riot Going On, which I believe was probably a reference to the Sly and the Family <laughs> no, Stone Actually, album. they'd never heard of that record before. It's a total coincidence. <laughs> Jeremy, you look lost as hell right now. <laughs> so bad. Things well, though, so you, too th- quick. For you, me. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up. You'll pick up with this next re- next reference I make. Ron Frangipane, in, in addition to studying under Igor Stravinsky, he'd also played keyboard with the Archies, the cartoon band that did Sugar Sugar, the song we just mentioned. Okay. Uh, now that that's not what I was expecting you to know. He <laughs> also say, produced. That was insulting. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> take it back yeah. down to your level, Jeremy. You ever heard of cartoons? <laughs> Familiar with Stravinsky. <laughs> okay, so he had uh, Frangipane had also produced the Towns Van Zant album Delta Mama Blues. Okay. Yeah. I know that. I got that one. Yeah. I watched he, the documentary, so now I'm a fan of Towns. <laughs> Yeah, and he had also, Frangipane had also done arrangements for John Lennon and Yoko Ono, and along with Don Cherry, he had composed the music to a little movie called The Holy Mountain Hell yeah. by Alejandro Jodorowsky. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a great New Year's Eve movie to watch, I feel like. I would say so. When you're ready for that time of change and transition in your life, throw on Holy Mountain as it approaches midnight, and it's going to like rock your world yeah change your perspective on shit it's gonna change your brain yeah (laughs) are we gonna watch that movie together later jeremy because we're gonna be partying together on new year's eve yeah currently are right now while we're djing on new year's eve which is now yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh weird we're gonna have to like schrodinger's dj this one bro yeah My final note on Frangipane before we listen to one of the songs he scored is <laughs> oh, that... Oh, sorry, Peter. <laughs> oh, no, no worries. You know, you're all, you all are partying. I'm just... Uh, We're just try- partying. You're trying to get us some info. <laughs> 
Uh, he had also, wants to bring it back again once more, He uh, Frangipane had also worked with an artist named Melanie. So there's a lot of crossover between Janice, Ian, and Melanie here as far as the people they worked with. Uh, now I'd like to listen to the title track from Between the Lines, which is the first song on side two. It was a good year then It was a good year then We all remember The time you threw the looking glass And seemed a fool Oh, very clever Don't spoil it all I can't recall a time When you were struck without an answer We'll live a quiet, peaceful time Between the lines And go together And I'm striking up the band To play our last hurrah We'll dance until we've killed another evening off Don't think of anyone but me I'll have no lovers on the side Tonight is all we've ever dreamed about For once, let's get it reactions to that what the hell was that <laughs> some new year's carnival vibe right there i like the first half of that i don't know if i'm down with the with the like coked out carnival thing at the end there <laughs> i sure you're on board with that <laughs> the coked out carnival had Prague vibes to me what year it was did, this again yeah. 1975 75 that that checks out sure that was, it was a proggy time proggy in america time. <laughs> We could go a little bit into the background of Janice Ian here now. Where, where does this record fit into her catalog? She had started when she was very young. Mm. Janice Ian started very young. And we're talking like 14, 15 years old as far as professionally. She had taken a number of years off in the early 70s. And this was her second album upon returning. She was born Janice Eddie Fink on April 7th, 1951 in New York City. Her parents were, were named Victor and Pearl, and they were Jewish-born liberals who ran a summer camp in upstate New York. She became an admirer of Odetta and Joan Baez at a young age. She had started learning piano at the age of two, and her, by her teens she was playing harmonica, French horn, organ, and guitar. She wrote her first song at the age of 12. It was called Hair of Spun Gold, and it was included on her first album in 1967. She legally changed her name to Janice Ian in 1964, taking her brother Eric's middle name as her new surname. I couldn't find any, any information as to why that was. I don't know if she was like, well, I'm going to be professional and I'm going to legally change my name to Janice Ian. That has a better 
ring than Janice Fink. So in 1965, at the age of 14, she wrote and recorded her first hit song called Society's Child, its subtitle is Baby I've Been Thinking, in which she bravely addressed the complexity of interracial dating in a very messed up and divided country. The lyrics of the song center around the feelings of a young girl who witnesses the humiliation that her African-American boyfriend receives from the girl's mother and the taunts that she herself endures from classmates and teachers. It closes with her decision to end her relationship with her boyfriend because of her inability to deal with the social pressure. So at 14, Janice Ian was singing about this subject and it became a big hit for her. Now, the song peaked at number 14 in 1967 on the Billboard Top 100. It would have probably climbed higher, but some radio stations banned the song and she also began receiving death threats. Surprise. In her autobiography, Ian said that a radio station in Atlanta was set fire after playing her song. Jesus. Also, guess what disgraced comedian tried to ban her? Bill Cosby. Oh, well, you didn't even let me guess. I was going to start like (laughs) running through some canceled comedians, but that's fine. It would have been a long (laughs) guessing list potentially there. Yeah. He tried to have her banned uh, from TV after he and Janice Ian were on the Smothers Brothers show together, and he witnessed her fall asleep in her female chaperone's lap. The chaperone was an older family friend accompanying her because she was underage. Ian says she later learned from her manager that Cosby had made it his business to warn others that she wasn't suitable family entertainment and was, quote, probably a lesbian and shouldn't be on television. Again, as a reminder, she was 16 years old. And fortunately, Johnny Carson and his producer didn't listen and invited Janice Ian on their show anyway, which effectively broke Cosby's attempted blacklist. Ian would later come out as a lesbian in 1993 with the release of her album Breaking Silence. But she said she has said when she's talking about the Cosby thing, she was 16 years old and she, she, there was no romantic connection with her and the female chaperone. And... Yeah, he was basically just being a scumbag. Surprise, surprise. Hmm. She's now, in 2003, Ian married Patricia Snyder, and Ian has a stepdaughter and two grandchildren with Snyder. Now, I'm thinking that maybe the Society's Child song that I mentioned had the subject of the taboo uh, interracial dating relationship. I'm wondering if that kind of played into the similarly taboo subject that she probably couldn't have addressed at that time of being a queer woman. But either way, pretty bold song to come out the gate with at the age of 14, 15. Yeah, it seems... Yeah, I have a hard time imagining myself at age 14 even being able to, like, grasp those concepts. Yeah. I mean, she did. It makes me wonder about her upbringing more. Yeah. Is there... uh, Do you have any insight there or not Well, her... It's said that her parents were Jewish-born and highly liberal. So there was probably subjects being discussed in the home that were informing her at a young age you know, to be thinking about those type of things. Mm-hmm. So I, I, didn't get a, I didn't go further into her upbringing than that. So I would like to play another song right now. Uh, it's the track In the Winter, Jeremy. I don't have, I think it's on side one. I'm going to make you flip back over there. The days are okay I watch the TV in the afternoon If I get lonely The sound of other voices Are the rooms near to me I'm not afraid 
this previously has that sort of liberal spirit of a Joni Mitchell song or songs that I'm hearing here but the execution I like a lot more than Joni Mitchell songs honestly it's like everything I want Joni Mitchell to be yeah I would agree with that her voice has kind of a sense of power to it as well and there's there's a lot of range of lighter folk throwbacks and then it, it gets surprisingly intense for the genre at points there's some prog elements uh, you know a little bit of the kind of fusion jazz crossover feel that Joni Mitchell was doing but more conceptual and a little more heavy a little more cinematic at times all right those sound like positive reactions then I would say so high praise (laughs) that song was uh, performed on the first episode of Saturday Night Live ever on October 11th, 1975, hosted by George Carlin, who introduced Ian, uh, also featured another musical guest, Billy Preston, who also played two songs. If you can believe that, he played Nothing From Nothing and Fancy Lady. I can believe it because I've watched the first episode before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you have seen, you have heard Janice Ian before then. I think I must have then, yeah. Yeah, she uh, also performed her hit song at 17, which we'll be getting to momentarily here. This album won a Grammy in 1976 for Best Engineered Recording Non-Classical and is an album that is used by audiophiles to test their setup. I found a post on ohmspeaker.com that has a list of 15 classic records to demo speakers, and this is the first one on the list. You know, another record that is highly praised in the audiophile world, that Los Indios Tabajares record that we covered a while ago. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Huh. Yep. I wouldn't have guessed. It's a very well-recorded album. These both are. Yeah, 1963. That's pretty great engineering right there. Mm -hmm. Frangipane, who we talked about earlier, the uh, arranger who uh, also had worked with Towns Van Zandt, I found a quote from him where he was saying, when, when working with Towns Van Zandt, Towns was very laid back, just whatever the other musicians want to do. He, he was, he said, Janice Ian was meticulous about the arrangements. And she properly credited everybody involved. But I think his quote was, she would micromanage every eighth note. So these are really, the attention to detail on the crafting of these songs and the mm-hmm. recordings is top notch. Yeah, she comes in with a, a full fleshed out vision. 
not just here's some chords and I'm going to sing and you guys do what you want with it. I, I like that. I respect yeah. that. It definitely doesn't have any of the loose feel that is commonly associated with some folk records, but it, uh, it doesn't have an overly sterile feel like you would get on some albums that are a producer driving all of the arrangements with the singer not having much say. It's it's an interesting middle ground between those two elements. Yeah, and the song that was the big hit off of this at 17, I feel like that one, I'm coming to like it more, uh, you know, listening closer to the lyrics to it and whatnot, but it sounds more like 70s adult contemporary folk than the rest of the record does. The rest of the record mostly has that darker feel that you've heard on these songs. And I'll be playing that song uh, shortly. You'll hear that. But she did win a Janice Ian won in 1976, a Grammy award for best pop vocal performance for at 17 beating out Linda Ronstadt, Olivia Newton, John, Helen Reddy, and Judy Collins. Janice Ian had been thought of as a one hit wonder for years until the release of this song. Hmm. It reached number three on the Billboard Hot 100 and number one on the Adult Contemporary chart. There you go. <laughs> uh, she's So she's quoted as saying, I wrote my first song at 12, was published at 13, made a record at 14, had a hit at 15, and was a has-been by 16. So at 17 means more to me than you can know. So let's go ahead and listen to that. This is a pretty big hit song that doesn't really... It's one of those hit songs that has not carried over into uh, nowadays you don't hear it as much but this was a big song in the 70s I learned the truth at 17 that love was meant for beauty queens and high school girls with clear skin smiles who married young and then The Valentines I never knew The Friday night charades of youth Were spent on one more beautiful At seventeen I learned the truth And those of us with ravaged faces Lacking in the social graces Desperately Isn't all it seems It's seventeen A brown-eyed girl in hand-me-downs Whose name I never could pronounce Said pity please the ones who serve They only get what they deserve In the rich relation hometown Surprise. 
Yeah, that definitely has the adult contemporary sound of that time period, but it's got way more interesting vibes than you would normally get from that kind of style. Yeah, it would kind of, you know, cook some food and throw that on and, you know, do a little a little left and right, sip a little bubbly maybe, you mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm. It's got good vibes. Yeah, got a little soul. I found a live performance where she started by saying, this song was written about a time in my life when I was a, when I was really weird looking and there were all these girls I was going to school with who were really terrific looking. They were like cheerleaders and very tall and long blonde hair. I was very short with curly black hair. So for cheerleaders, and then she plays the song. Fittingly enough, there's a character in the movie Mean Girls named Janice Ian. Whoa. <laughs> named directly a reference to her. I haven't seen that movie in a very long time, so now I'll have to go back and look for Janice Ian in there. Full of brilliance and Easter eggs, that Mean Girls. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in what way does, does this album tie in with Tupac, though? I need to know. I've been waiting this whole episode for you to tell me. Well, if it was a Kate Bush album, I could tell you he was a big fan, but <laughs> it's okay. not. I don't think we're ever going to be able to do a Kate Bush Wait album. Wait a second. Damn. Are you feeling what I'm feeling, Sean? Is it time to... Oh, I think it's time to grill Peter. Okay. I've got a good question. Tell me about her, her primary alias. What is it? And why did she get that nickname? Think, Can we stump him? No. Yeah, I'm I'm stumped. You know, her nickname obviously was Blind Girl Grunt, and I was hoping you could tell me why. <laughs> is, it, is this real? Yes. <laughs> Where are you getting this from? Discogs. This is a, this is in aliases? Yeah, I have right, no... it's her only alias. I have no idea what that means, but it, it does say that they're blind girl grunt. Yeah, it beats me. So clicking on the blind girl grunt thing, it only gives these two random comps. So I'm wondering if that was just an alias used by the label to avoid royalty fees for a comp or it something. Could, yeah, it could be one of those situations. I mean, if you didn't find that anywhere in your searches, I'm guessing that's not actually her nickname. <laughs> What's the historical relevancy of the name Janice, like through history? Ooh. Ooh. Well, there's a film company named Janice. Why? Because there's a musician named Janice Joplin. Ooh, we double stumped him today. Yeah. We don't even need to go any further. He's fully cooked. Uh, What year did uh, her last album come out? Well, I want to say that it was in this decade mm-hmm. come on save yourself peter 2013 oh, 14 god <laughs> peter <laughs> this is a historic moment a we, new low for peter cook peter <laughs> it's either a new low for him or a new high for team sean and That's jeremy true. Over here. <laughs> well would you like to hear how i came to find janice ian's music and why i know so little yeah. about her i would i would love that Where'd you get this? I found this at a store that shall go unnamed that Sean and I both used to work at. It's formerly known, it was a store formerly known as Corner Record Shop Kalamazoo. Yeah, the show, the, the store that we dance around but still reference every episode of this podcast. <laughs> I found it there for $3. Oof. And... Does that seem about accurate, Sean, with what you've seen of most of her catalog? Yeah. Of all her albums, I would say this is probably the easiest one to find in my experience. She's got a handful of albums that you see pretty regularly. And actually, like looking through the discogs, she's got a handful of albums that I don't know if I've ever really seen. So, yeah, her career seems to have come up and down a few times more than just the the childhood to 
to this point. Yeah, as I understand it, she has walked away and come back on a number of occasions. Okay. And some of her later work from the 90s and the 2000s is actually by the devout crowd held in high regard, and some of it is very excellent. Interesting. And I found her, I, I had seen her name around from working in record stores, but I don't think I had ever listened to her music. And my buddy Kurt Carr, who hooked us up with the new head shell and cartridge, which we're using to play the music today. Thank you, Kurt. Thank you, Kurt. Uh, he sat me down in front of his hi-fi system, whatever he has there. He is a uh, gearhead when it comes to the the, uh, the vinyl and the, the audio. And he said, you know, what, what music do you like? What do you want to hear? And, you know, I felt stumped. And he said, you know, Janice Ian, her stuff is often you know, held a, is, as a great way of testing out speakers. Uh, you know, this, she was really meticulous about how her album sounded. So he, I don't think he put on this one for me. I don't remember which one he put on, but... I was immediately taken in by her voice and the songwriting uh, when I heard the song and uh, was at a certain record store shortly thereafter and saw this and all of her stuff goes for cheap. Yeah. All of her stuff is pretty inexpensive. I think we referenced this earlier, but this is like really the first I've ever listened to Janice Ian much. Never put on the record. And yeah, it's stuff that you only see cheap all over the place. You just kind of, it, the, the cover is generic looking. Yeah. You know, it's just like a side profile, maybe her photoshopped against a background yeah. almost. And, uh, I don't think that she's actually in that setting that she's in. I can't be positive, but she does look kind of photoshopped onto the, is it like a lake and a forest in the background there? Yeah, maybe? It, it's interesting that, yeah, the album cover is more sterile than anything that's actually in the music. So by normal record collecting instincts, there's nothing about this that really jumps out at you. And so, yeah, I've never listened to it, but that's why we're doing this podcast. Coming back to the uh, reason we're doing this. We're sharing the knowledge with each other and with, you know, our five or six listeners. We have many more than that. At this point, we probably do, yeah. We're in the Philippines, bro. <laughs> We've well, been in Morocco. While we're People talking playing about... playing us around the world. <laughs> We've got a big following in Canada. I was shocked. We've been officially recognized in Morocco. Hello to our Canadian friends. I just wanted to say hello. <laughs> Well, while we are talking about the cover, I, I uh, are either of you familiar with the show Broad City from Com- Yeah, I love Com- that show. I think she uh, she kind of has, uh, well, I should say that Alana Glazer has a slight resemblance to her. True. Yeah. Or Alana Wexler is, I believe, her name on the on Broad City. R.I.P. Broad City, I, I believe the last season was this year's because it's still 2019 right now, right? Yes, it's New Year's Eve right yeah, now. For a few more hours. We're going to kind of get head towards the end here. A little more about Janice Ian. She has done some acting and writing. She was the credited as the singer in a movie called Four Road Out from 1970 that was written by Dick Miller. Do either of you know Dick Miller, the character actor? No. <laughs> John, have you seen uh, A Bucket of Blood? Ah. <sighs> Yes, but it's been a while. <laughs> he was Walter Paisley in that. Oh, Walter Paisley. <laughs> Does that ring any bells no. now? <laughs> I watched it at your house when we lived together, and it was in your collection. Yeah. So. Yeah. Dick Miller was like a big character actor in Hollywood. Anyway, she plays the singer in that movie, and I you can see it on YouTube. I think that's about the extent of her role in that. She was on a TV show called American Music Shop, in 1993 as well as more recently on a show called getting on she played mrs belafonte in the 2015 series finale episode 
called Reduced to Eating Boiled Magazines and Book Paste. That's a normal thing. And she played what? a patient. <laughs> she played a patient who refused to stop singing, which, to my recollection, was a plot point in Northern Exposure as well. Sometimes uh, <laughs> Peter's talking, and it's like a weird salad of names and words, and I get very confused and space out a little. I just want to say hello to our listeners who are out in space right now. Come back down. She's also an accomplished writer of prose, contributing to publications such as The Advocate, the LGBT magazine, and also Performing Songwriter magazine. And she also writes for the Huffington Post. HuffPo. Everybody writes for (laughs) HuffPo. I would like for us to go out on a song called When the Party's Over. Not to be confused, Jeremy, with... Billie Eilish. Not to be confused with the Billie Eilish song, which fittingly, who is also a teenager, well, she'll be 18 as of the time airing of this. crazy. I didn't know those parallels. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Billie Eilish just turned 18, but yeah, you know, she's another teenage sensation. I actually think Billie Eilish is pretty cool. Oh, it's fan- her last album was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with the song that is also of this title. So, so we're gonna we're gonna go out on it. We're gonna go out on out on that. So, happy New Year, everybody! This has been see a year one of I'd buy that for a dollar. Mm-hmm. We will see you in 2020. My name is Peter Cook. My name is Jeremy Ruggles. My name is Sean Harbin. Jeremy thought I was gonna go second, but. I'm not going second. Happy New Year! Yay! We'll see you when the party's over. Thank you for listening to another fine episode of this podcast. If you would like to know more about us, if you've got any questions for us about this podcast, about our process, about the world at large, you can email us at I'dBuyThatPodcast at gmail.com you can go to our website i'dbuythatpodcast.com to find more episodes if you've somehow stumbled upon this episode and have no idea how to get to more of them if you think this podcast is so good that you'd like to give us some of your hard-earned money on a monthly basis in exchange for some wonderful rewards you can find us on patreon by searching i'd buy that for a dollar or patreon.com slash i'd buy that podcast We're also on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Please follow, like, subscribe, share, tell your friends. Thank you. You can fall in love with me. Would you like to learn to tango? Do you dance the light fan?